Locked on NBA. The biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories across the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we go to Detroit to speak with Kuka Hill of Locked On Pistons about the beginning of Cade Cunningham's NBA career. We then go to Miami to speak with David Ramil of Locked On Heat about one of the NBA's best teams, the Miami Heat. And lastly, we go to Los Angeles to speak with the Kamenetsky brothers of Locked On Lakers about the uh, the troubling start to the season for the Los Angeles Lakers. It's all coming up, the biggest stories, with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I also host the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. Thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Plus, we have shows for every team in the NBA and across the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NHL. So make sure you're checking out your favorite team's Locked On podcast. We're going to talk about some big stories in the NBA today, so let's get to it. All right, here he is. The host of the Locked On Pistons podcast, Kuka Hill, is here with me. Kuka, we're here to talk about the beginning of Cade Cunningham's career in the NBA. There are plenty of uh, reactionary takes out there about Cade. Oh, he's the worst number one pick we've seen in all this time and all and all this sort of garbage. Because let's be honest, it was a pretty poor start in terms of the shooting numbers. Would he miss his first 19 threes, I think, and then hit that one from the logo? But let's go positive here. Let, let's talk about the good things that you have seen from Cade Cunningham in his uh, in his first, what, three or four games uh, in his NBA career. Um, I think the thing that pops off the most uh, is his IQ. He has, like, the, the when you watch him, he has, like, the IQ of someone you think has been in the league for, like, five years. Uh, he makes great decisions with the ball. I feel like he, he, he sees it. It's kind of like a quarterback. It's not like you're watching a quarterback be before the uh, before he snaps the ball. It's like he sees what the defense is going to do. He reads what the defense is going to do. He makes some quick reaction plays, processes the defense really fast. Um, so I think that's what jumped off. Even in the first two games where he really shot poorly, I think he missed every three in the first two games. Uh, so even when that was going on, the team still looked much better with him on the floor. Uh, he helped move the ball much faster, much quicker along the perimeter. Um, so... I know the shooting numbers don't look good, but if you actually watch them play, uh, he looks really he, – I think he looks pretty good. Once the, I think the concern for a lot of people was uh, would he be able to finish around the rim? Would he, would he be knocked off balance getting to the rim? Is he going to be athletic enough for all that? And that actually has been like probably his best spot right now offensively scoring. And then the part people weren't worried about was his shooting, which is what he's struggling with right now because he hasn't had his legs. He hasn't played for like a month. So – once he starts making his shots, he's going to look absolutely fantastic. And he, we started to see a little bit of that in the Nets game. Yeah, and he did. Yeah, he he played off or off ball. You know, as a as a shooting guard for the first few games, and then Killian Hayes was out with that thumb injury, so Dwayne Casey just slotted him straight in at point guard. Is that his future, or do you think that they are still you know committed to him being in sort of a ball sharing, ball handling, duty,ing sharing situation with Hayes, or did he look better when he was that lead guy? Um, I think he looked really good both. So the first two games, it's going to be a process throughout the season for the Pistons. But the first two games, Cade really wasn't. I mean, the first game he was on a minutes restriction, and then the second game was his first full game back. And again, he had an ankle injury, and he hasn't really played basketball. for like really, I mean, he missed training camp and preseason. Then if you go beyond that, then you're going a few months to, what, summer league. So he really hasn't played like legit basketball. Like I think you would, it would be around two months, two and a half months right now. 
Uh, so he's just getting his legs back under him. That's first. And second, two games ago before this Brooklyn game, Cade and Killian looked absolutely fantastic with each other. The first two games, the Pistons had been running way too many dribble handoffs uh, with Isaiah Stewart, which doesn't really make sense because he doesn't really provide a threat in those handoffs. He's not great at setting screens. It's kind of like a skill to like be able to set screens and hand the ball off at the same time. He's not very good at it right now. So it doesn't really make sense to do it. Uh, I've been asking for them to run more pick and rolls. And, well, two games ago they started doing that, and Cade and Killian looked absolutely fantastic together. Um, they, I think both of them were a team high plus minus in that game. Uh, single game plus minus is noisy, but I think that game, it really matched the eye test. They were plus seven, plus six together. They looked absolutely great together. So I think you've seen how good they look together, how well they can play off of each other. I think Killian in that game started to play a little bit more off ball with him, and he hit two catch-and-shoot threes, which, by the way, he's looked pretty good catch-and-shooting. But then, like you said, in this Nets game, he was really given – Cade, that is, was really given the ball and just allowed to operate the entire offense – uh, he looked good in that facet, too, and that's what made him the number one overall pick, I think, that people need to understand. It's not that he should be doing too much of one of the – if you're making him do too much of one of those things, you're not really getting the full – you're not getting everything out of K. The, the, what makes him so great is that he's able to do one thing and the other. So if you balance them both, he's really just such a such a threat on offense that can really impact your entire team. Is there any concern with the shooting form? Because there's some who are you know, more in tune with or you're really focusing on shooting form and shooting mechanics think that his shooting form looks a little bit different than what it did when he was at Oklahoma State. Have you noticed anything like that? Um, I'm not – I wouldn't say – I didn't really watch college basketball, so I can't say that I know a lot about his jump shot in, in college. Um, but what I do know is that John Beeline was hired by the Pistons to be a developmental coach and they specified on three-point shooting. And if you look at a lot of the Pistons players, a lot of them have changed their jump shots, and they've Dwayne Casey has came out and said that John Beeline has worked with them and to try to tweak their jump shots and you know better it for what they say. Uh, so it looks the same like Killian Hayes. His, his looks different. Isaiah Stewart looks a little bit different as well. Uh, and they did mention, I believe, Dwayne Casey was the one to mention. I don't know if it was him or Troy Reaver or someone. But someone did mention that they had been working with Kate a little bit to tweak his shot. Um, cause they thought his, I believe it, he thought they thought his knees were a little bit inward too much and they wanted to get his hand underneath the ball a little bit more. Uh, it's something to watch throughout the season. Again, it's only been four games. It's not really that big of a deal for me right now. Um, and like I said, in this last game against the Nets, he looked, he, he, he looked really good. He had a couple of threes down the stretch in the clutch uh, for the Pistons to really try and make it a game. Uh, but yeah, his jump shot, definitely. They even said that they were tweaking with it a little bit to try and make it better. Uh, I you have I think fans and everyone needs to wait a little bit longer to see if it's really like impacting him. I think it really does have a lot more to do with his legs. A lot of his shots seem to come up short. So once I, I said this on the podcast, give it like a week or two, and I think he'll be looking like rookie of the year. Last question here uh, for you, Koo. And we've seen Jeremy Grant have to be this number one guy all of last season and to the beginning of this year. And he had some struggles with efficiency outside of maybe the first what 15 to 20 games of last year. It has really bogged him down having that role and having to take so much offensive creation on. Uh, he hasn't been able to do it efficiently. And we saw that beginning of this year. Like he really struggled in some games. How long do you think it will be? Like, you know, that's that's a very specific question. But, like, how is it going to happen where Kate is just going to be this number one usage guy really quickly because Jeremy is going to be more suited to be that number two or number three guy? Uh, it should happen right now because they looked really good with the Brooklyn Nets when he was the main guy. And like I said, the game before that one, they looked really even better when they were sharing it with Killian and Kate just taking turns, basically running pick and rolls, creating for guys. 
which really I, it doesn't make sense why the Pistons haven't been doing that because their two top picks from the last two years are great in pick like that's where their bread and butter is supposed to be in pick and roll and they've just been like going away from that the first like week or whatever uh, but yeah the last two games it looked really good with it and Jeremy looked much better when he was allowed to play off ball a little bit more and when he's moving he looks really good and he plays really well uh, he had a really good game I believe two games ago when that was happening uh, but then uh, he he gets Jeremy gets in too many. He tries to. I, I've said this on the podcast. Let me just say this. I've said this on the podcast where I think Jeremy has proven is he more than the guy he was in Denver and OKC? One hundred percent. He's yep. proven that he has more to his game than that. That's for sure. But he also has proven that he's not a number one two guy. Like he's firmly slotted, I think, as like a third guy for your team, and that's good because I think before them he was probably like a fourth guy, fifth guy kind of thing. But he's proven to be more than that. Um, they should move away from trying to isolate him so much. That's when he gets into his struggling. The last game, I think he shot 0 of 10 from the field, 0 of 9, 0 of 10. Uh, but, yeah, he they need to go away from, from asking him to do too much, asking him to carry offensive burden that he just can't handle. And especially down the stretch of games, he needs he needs the, to, to to defer to Kay Cunningham or Killian Hayes because he's been re- – even if you go back to last year, he struggles a lot down the stretch when defense is put – real pressure on him put two guys on him he's his playmaking his vision's very low and he he really struggles with that but again like i said he's proven to be more than just that guy he was in denver but if they want to really maximize jeremy and stop and like help him help him and and like eliminate his struggles they need to put him back to a little bit more off ball like they've done the last two games and stop asking him to do so much because that's when he really gets into a funk well, Kate, uh, not, you're not Cade. Well, Koo, it has been awesome just to, <laughs> to see Cade out there finally playing um, and starting to look really good. And the next few weeks and few months are going to be awesome to see him develop. And of course, you're going to cover it all for us over on the Locked On Pistons podcast. Thank you for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Absolutely. Have you guys heard about Price Picks? Price Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this, and I know that you will too. Price Picks has the best NBA DFS prop game on the market. Price Picks offers more NBA DFS props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all of the superstar players as well as the bench guys just getting a handful of minutes. Any prop you can think of, points, assists, blocks, whatever it is, Price Picks has that for you. And anyone who goes in, signs up, deposits, you get 100% instant match deposit up to 100 bucks. Just make sure you use the promo code NBA. So how, how it works with prize picks, you pick two to five players, you sit, pick their over-unders on the projections, and you can win up to 10 times your entry. It's just you versus those projected numbers. It also allows uh, mixed sport entry. So you can throw a football in there, a basketball in there, hockey in there, chuck it all together, and then you just end up yeah, putting your lineup together and seeing how it goes. So use the award-winning app or use prizepicks.com and use that promo code NBA. Go to your app store or download the app today. And prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. This is a familiar problem. You got your one device where you watch your live sports. You watch your other shows somewhere else. You got your highlights that you watch on your phone. And then you've got your neighbors log in for something else. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It is called Direct TV Stream and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part is there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required and content varies by package. All right, here he is now, the host, one of the hosts of the Locked On Heat podcast, David Ramil is here with me and I've just got to check that I've got actually David uh, David's video set up one sec technical crisis averted here is David Ramil one of the hosts of the Locked On Heat podcast David welcome to Locked On NBA 
Thanks so much, Josh. Looking forward to talking Heat basketball. Now, people were pretty excited about the Miami Heat in the offseason, about the moves they made, pushing towards a championship. But people thought maybe they'd be a little bit sluggish in the off in, in the not off season, in the regular season, that they've got you know some older players. They might be a team that becomes really dangerous in the playoffs with this really good defense, but it might be a little bit, you know, not not the you know, pushing to the top of the NBA in the regular season. But that hasn't been the case. They've been awesome. Right. The defense has been awesome, which is something we thought. But they are sitting you know, right at the top of the Eastern Conference standings at the time that we record this. So would you say that the regular season, the first 10 games or so, has exceeded expectations? Uh, for myself and other pundits, absolutely. For the team, I think they, you know, as most teams are, as most players are, they're pretty confident about their chances. They assembled this group with the goal of achieving a championship. That's why they came. They, that's why they brought in Kyle Lowry. That's why Lowry came to Miami. He really believed and what the Heat were pulling together, and he wanted to play alongside his friend, Jimmy Butler, but also compete for a championship. For him, it's all about winning, and that's still the case here. He wants to continue to to win at a high level, and that's why he chose Miami. So, yes, I think it has exceeded some expectations, but not for the team themselves. So they just come off a big victory over the Jazz after a disappointing game against the Celtics. They've knocked off the Nets already this season. Um, obviously, that big win against the Bucs, but that's a, it was, that's a weird, weird game, that one. Um, is they sit what eight and two at the moment, Miami? Seven and two right now. Or seven, seven and two. And two. So that they're sitting here really with a, a pretty strong position. But let's talk about that big off-season acquisition and Kyle Lowry and how he has fit in. Because there were people very early on that were like, "What's going on with Kyle Lowry? Like he can't hit any shots. Like what's the what's the point of all this?" The last couple of games have seen that turn around. He's played through this ankle injury. Um, what is he bringing now? Every Raptors person who's listened to this will be screaming, going, that's not what Kyle Lowry does. He, he's, a, he's a winner. He brings this. Finally, everyone's recognizing it. So tell us, what are they recognizing about Kyle Lowry? Like, how important has he been joining this team? Absolutely essential. Uh, his incredible playmaking, his ability to ignite the fast break opportunity, to get everybody set and ready. Everybody else's assist numbers are way, way down. Bam Adebayo running most of the offense last year alongside Jimmy Butler. Both of them have their numbers decreasing this year because the ball is in a true point guard's hands in Kyle Lowry, and he's making plays for everybody. He's finding them with just the right opportunities to take advantage of mismatches. That's what you get with the benefit of having a guy like Lowry on offense. On defense, while maybe you could say that the offensive output from a guy like Goran Dragic or Kendrick Nunn combined was similar to what you might get on a good day from Kyle Lowry, the result is defensively, he just changes everything. He's so much easier to just plug and play here because you've got him you got pj tucker as well and now all of a sudden you've got four maybe four and a half quality starters uh that can switch multiple positions and lowry i mean in utah's game yesterday he guarded both uh Low i'm sorry uh, mike conley jr and rudy gobert in the same possession and and locked them both down so that's just what you get when you have a player like kyle lowry who can do so much so yes he's absolutely brought an incredible spark to this Miami's team on both sides of the ball. According to Cleaning the Glass stats, they are third in net rating. They have the fourth best offense and the fourth best defense in the NBA. Last year, they were eighth in defense, so there's improvement there. But that, that offensive improvement is pretty significant, up to fourth yeah. in an not an era, because it's, you know, it's 10 games. So we're not really in an era, but in a, in a situation where in the NBA, offense is well down. So their offense is only up by two points per 100 possessions. But relative to the NBA, that's a gigantic, gigantic leap. Um, 
is that all Lowry, or is it the you know, the the Bam Adebayo being more aggressive with his own shot as well? We talk about the ball coming out of his hands, but in terms of how aggressive Bam is being with the ball, yeah, that that's another key part of that. Or is it just really all the just having the addition of someone like Kyle, Kyle Lowry is making everything better? No, I think Lowry is the spark, but you're absolutely right about Bam's growth. I think the his involvement with Team USA and the Olympic gold medal winning team really took his game and his confidence level to another level. And, you know, Eric Spolster talks about it all the time. He just says that, you know, this is a different BAM. He's put in the work over the last few years, but he's gotten even better. But you can't ignore Tyler Hero either, coming off the bench and providing an incredible spark. He feels, it just seems like he's much more comfortable in this role than he was when he was plugged in as a starter last year. That wasn't ideal for him. He put on the weight that they asked him to put on over the offseason. He looks good. He came in in great shape. And he's just handled the ball incredibly well. It looks like he's just moving with purpose. He's had some really productive games off the bench. So when you look at that, I know a lot of the concerns about this team were their depth. But, I mean, Tyler here is providing such a huge boost offensively. And then you've got that starting core that does such a great job. It's been a really, really good team to watch. Yeah, it has. And that hero thing is really important because yeah, he had that big run in the bubble and then probably stagnated a little bit last season didn't Plateaued, take yeah yeah didn't didn't like drop off massively but didn't take any sort of steps forward but has right. really done that this season and, and taken that big step up and he's playing basically in a starter's role and I, I think when we spoke to you in the preseason on locked on fantasy you talked about you know look Tyler Hero is going to be playing his yeah, 30 minutes and in a six man of the year type of role and that's basically right. exactly what what he's doing in terms of the other additions to the team you've got um uh, Dwayne Dedman, PJ Tucker, uh, Markeith Morris all playing pretty uh, solid roles how has Tucker looked? Because yeah, he had some moments last year where he was really good, and some a lot of moments where he struggled. Is he looking? Is he looking more like the good PJ Tucker, or is there still some of that uh, those older man struggles that we saw from him last year? I think it's the the better version of Tucker. There, he's still not producing a lot, and he has some games like he did against Utah where he just doesn't score at all, and that's fine. I think when you've got all-star level caliber players like Bam, like Lowry, and like Jimmy Butler and Duncan Robinson, who still has yet to kind of find his stroke from three-point line. You don't really need much from Tucker. He's, he's great as a threat. He's there, that corner specialist. He can occasionally put the ball down uh, if a play breaks down. But for the most part, you don't really need him to. Defensively, however, he's looked phenomenal. In that game against the Nets, a win for Miami, he did a great job of harassing Kev uh, Kevin Durant. Nobody's going to shut him down, as we all know. But at the same time, having a guy like Tucker, just, again, another switchable player. So many different combinations you can run defensively where you just, if, a, if they get caught in a screen, you always have somebody there to, to play backup. You can guard multiple players. He's just, he's been such an asset defensively, something that was missing and has been missing from this team last year. You know, they kind of had that in Jay Crowder during their deep bubble run, and now they've kind of reproduced that with Tucker. Here's an interesting stat for you. I don't know whether you'll know the answer to this, but out of the, the main rotation players, you know, we talk about the impact that Kyle Lowry's had. He's second on this team in net rating or on-off net rating. Uh, PJ Tucker's third. Dwayne Dedman's leading the team. Who do you reckon's got the worst on-off out of this uh, of this Miami team? Oh, worst on-off, uh, Duncan. It's actually Jimmy Butler. Which is, is it really? Yeah, which is pretty astonishing. It's like, according to Cleaning the Glass, it's a negative 11.8, which of course we're dealing with really small samples. But the fact that the Heat are struggling a little bit in his minutes so far versus what's happening when the bench comes on, 
and you've got those guys, these newer additions, Lowry, Tucker, Deadman, you're really playing at this high level. I think that should give Heat fans a level of confidence. You don't look at it and go, oh my God, Jimmy Butler's washed, because he clearly isn't, right? He's playing at a still a really high level. But the fact that they're still succeeding in the minutes and playing so well when he is off the court, which is what a lot of that on-off is. Like, they might not be playing bad when he's on, but they're also playing much better when he's off. Like, that should give them a gigantic degree of confidence, because that number's going to start to come up for Butler as well. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's, I guess the team's depth and the fact that, you know, Tyler's in there playing yeah. alongside Kyle Lowry. Lowry's done a really good job of building Tyler's confidence. Not that the kid really needed it. You know, he con- he always came across as supremely confident, but Tyler just keeps emphasizing, shoot the ball, shoot the ball. Uh, and they're getting him in his spots. And, and the, that play, I mean, Hero said it before, this is the first time he's really played with a point guard like Kyle. And it's really, fun. you know, they've got an incredible synergy right off the bat. It is going to be interesting to watch this team. We were worried about, not worried, but like other teams should have been worried about what this Heat defense was going to do in the playoffs, but they're bringing it already. David, it's going to be a fun year in Miami, and you and Wes will have it all for us over on Locked on Heat. Thanks for coming on Locked on NBA with me. Absolutely. Thanksgiving is coming up, and we all know Thanksgiving's about family, and it's about food. But unfortunately, so much of that food is high calorie, like your traditional pie. 300 calories per slice, plus maybe 400, so much. Why don't you bring Bilt Bar to Thanksgiving and you will be the hero of the party. Bilt Bar is the new Thanksgiving holiday dessert. These bars, 130 calories per bar versus 300 plus per slice of pie. Get out of here. Coconut cream pie. You replace it with a coconut Bilt Bar. Raspberry Bilt Bar. Bring that in instead of your raspberry pie. You are going to be an absolute hit at Thanksgiving. These bars are low carb, low fat, low calorie and high protein and covered in 100% real chocolate. So share it at your family gatherings. There are plenty of people in your family who might not have tried Built Bar. Deliver them to everybody and make them try how good this is. Also, check out Built.com and you can see all of the great new flavors they're going to be chucking out there over the course of November. And then Black Friday deals as well. But I've got a deal for you right now. 15% off at Built.com if you use our promo code LOCKED15. So go to Built.com. Load up on Built Bars and get that promo code in there. Locked 15 for 15% off Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. All right, so let's talk about the Los Angeles Lakers with Brian Kamenetsky, the host of the Locked On Lakers podcast. Brian, um, just a quiet bit of time there for the Lakers. Not not much, not much going on. I quite frankly, Josh, I was surprised to hear from you. I'm like, what's what's going on that anybody would be interested in with this team? I mean. It was, you know, Anthony Davis uh, throws up four times after the first quarter Saturday uh, in Portland, probably because he saw uh, the same quarter that that the rest of us did. Uh, the food poisoning or whatever it was didn't help. But this is not a good basketball team right now, and it's not even close. And with LeBron James out for, you know, probably another week and a half, I would say, and Kendrick Nunn isn't really anywhere close. THT, Taylor Horton Tucker is really not anywhere close. Frank Vogel talked about that on Saturday. There doesn't really seem to be a lot of prospects for them to get much better quickly. They might win a couple games here and there, but they're going to lose more than they win. And given everything that's going on with this team and the pressure and the, the microscope that they're under, it is not a good situation. Let's, well, I don't even know where to start, really. Let's start with, Anthony Davis has appeared on the injury report again with the thumb injury. He caused him to mm-hmm. um, miss some time in one of the games he returned, and then he had the, the gastro issue, and now he's back on the injury report with the thumb. But the big injury, of course, is LeBron James. And you said they're a week and a half, but there was that report and an article written on The Athletic by Bill Oram today saying that he spoke to a former strength and conditioning coach or strength trainer or whatever, said that that sort of injury maybe is a four to eight week injury. Now, that is not, of course, coming from the Lakers, but is, have you heard anything about that, or do you have any opinions no, on that report? No, I haven't. Where they started was at least a week. Yep. 
I mean, well, that could mean a lot of things. And, you know, they, they, you obviously have to be very careful. You can't turn a three-week injury into a six-week injury uh, with LeBron, at this, especially since we've seen how the Lakers play with him. He's not on the floor. Um, so, you know, I'll take them at their word for the initial, you know, is, is at least a week, a couple weeks, whatever it might be. It's going – I'd be shocked if it was a week, if it was oh, 10 no days. I mean, I would, just, I would be absolutely floored. This is not my medical opinion. It's just sort of my – basketball having been around opinion and so I, I think realistically you're looking at between two and three on the good side uh, before he's back on the floor that would be I think a great result for the Lakers we remember back to LeBron's groin injury and even his ankle injury last season he he was out probably longer than initial expectations with both of those injuries the the, the first one in that first season obviously there were some other mitigating factors there in that the team, sure. team was terrible and they weren't making the playoffs so that he didn't push back. But he still did exceed the timelines on both of those injuries uh, from memory with that ankle last year as well. So I guess there is a level of concern there. But you're right, the, the team looks dreadful at the moment. Like, should we get into Russell Westbrook shooting 7% in the game on, oh, on, on, sure. uh, on Saturday? Like how this is the big off-season acquisition. And it was for like, okay, so we can ease the load when LeBron isn't there and Westbrook can run things. But this team can't do that. Like this, obviously, there are a bunch of rotation players injured. But how is this team adjusting to Westbrook there, and and how does he look from your eyes? Is there can he you know, carry this team with LeBron out? Because the early returns no, would say no. No, he can't. No, I'll answer that. No, he can't carry it. Anthony Davis might be able to, but I don't think Russ can right now. Um, where he is, I mean, I. I, I he was slowly improving, and there mm -hmm. were more moments where you could look at it and say Frank Vogel and the staff were figuring out, you know, using Russ as a screen setter with LeBron, moving him away from the ball to set down screens for Anthony Davis to pop up, like keeping him active in ways that that put pressure on a defense and de-emphasize the need to have Russ shooting from the outside and whatever. So, I mean, he was doing better. Um Saturday was one of the worst games I've ever seen him play as a pro. Forget his game as a Laker. I mean, but like as a professional basketball player, this was one of his worst and one of his most uncomfortable. And so I, I don't think he can do that. And what we're seeing as well is the, the one-note nature of the supporting cast where they went a ton of shooting, not a lot of defense, and no wings. <laughs> like it's, they say, you know, they have 19 guards, two bigs, uh, you know, two traditional centers, Anthony Davis and Carmelo Anthony. Like That's what they have right now. Yeah. And so, you know, Frank Vogel has very few options for creating coherent lineups that make a lot of sense. But it's going to come down to Russ um, supplementing Davis on like a near star level. And I mean, Josh, you know better than me. Like memory serves while the numbers at the end always turn out pretty good. It usually is 15 or so games before Westbrook, 20 games last year, almost to the All-Star break, before he really kicks into that Westbrook elite player gear, notoriously so slow starter. So between that and the you know, the fit, we're it's fighting a lot of stuff at once. Yeah, the yeah, Westbrook does take quite a while, and then it often takes a team to cater to what he needs for him to mm -hmm. really start to put those numbers up. And I don't really see this Lakers team uh, doing that. One of the other things that I'm sure a lot of Lakers fans, Brian, uh, are concerned about is the DeAndre Jordan minutes, which, I don't know, has there been one good good minute of those throughout the season? It's been bad. Obviously, there are players out, but what is it going to take for the team to just start Anthony Davis at center? Like It, it took Health. a Dwight Health. Howard injury 
yeah. for that to happen. Um, and then Jordan coming off the bench. Is it just we need LeBron back? We need Ariza back, and then Jordan can just sit yeah. down and, and wait. Ultimately, tails. yeah. Ultimately, I think that's it. You need God. You need the option. When LeBron is out, they they you know, they can't start anybody but a center, like a real center. There, they just they they do not have enough bodies to be able to do it. And so you know this, and this is one of the places where the roster construction choices of Frank Vogel, I'm sorry, of uh, Rob Palenka, really come into play. Like the only free agent, like three four that they signed was Trevor Ariza, who's really a four, but at least you can pretend he can play the three. And that was it. And he's 37. Like, that's not a good idea. And I love Trevor, but that's not a good idea. And, you know, we're seeing what happens when, when these guys go down. And so I, I think that is going to be it. He played around with it with the Houston, the two Houston games, which made sense both from a positional lineup kind of matchup thing, but also what they had available, went back to it after LeBron got hurt. And so I, I think he's inclined to play a big next to Davis, all things considered. That's just who Frank Vogel is. But right now he doesn't have a choice. And so um, I think ultimately when they're healthy, they will have to do it and they'll because they're going to need to kind of get into that gear more quickly. But yeah, DeAndre Jordan, the numbers look okay. Um, they're fine. But um, they're not good. And he is not good. You can just sort of look at him. Like, he's not effective when he's out there offensively he gums things up and defensively they're not getting the benefit of his supposed rim protection or whatever um that you would want out there he's getting a lot of rebounds but those are rebounds somebody else would get if deandre jordan went on the floor is and i say this and i'll explain the reason in a second but is frank vogel on the hot seat because yeah he had a quote after the last game where he was like, with the with the personnel that we have, these are the decisions we have to make, which feels very much like, hey, it's not just me. Uh, Rob is uh, is to blame for some of these struggles, and I feel that some of that stuff might be coming either preemptively, thinking, "Who I might be in trouble here," or that mm-hmm. there is that pressure from Rob saying, "Frank, you better do something. You're in trouble." So he's out there throwing it, yeah, throwing not throwing him under the bus, but also you know just saying. I look! Look what I've been given to work with here. Like it's not particularly conducive to winning basketball. Is Frank Vogel on the hot seat? I, it's funny you should mention this. is the subject of the second segment of today's Locked On uh. Lakers. Um, yeah, like n- no, officially, I haven't seen anything like you know the guys who are inside doing a lot of the reporting, the whispers, the leaking, and no. But it op- the, the door has been open to this question in ways that it has never been in the last couple seasons, even when they were struggling last year, even when they had moments where things weren't working the way that you would want them to work. And this, we don't ha- we don't know, is Rob Palenka the kind of guy that would throw Vogel under the bus for what essentially amount to his own roster choices? You know, you could say LeBron and AD made the, uh, made the Westbrook trade, but ultimately Rob Palenka is the general manager. Rob Palenka put the rest of the team around him. Rob Palenka pulls the trigger on this as opposed to the Buddy Heald deal where you still keep a lot of your defensive integrity. You keep a lot of, you know, sort of the, the, the middle class of your roster, um, which they sold out for stars. I mean, the idea that Palenka wouldn't also be inclined to add a third superstar to this roster doesn't make sense. I mean, this is who Palenka is. They've tried to do this, make a big three for the last couple of seasons. They tried it with Kawhi Leonard. It didn't work. They tried it with Paul George. It didn't work. So, yeah, I don't know if Rob would throw Frank under the bus. I don't know that he wouldn't. And if they lose five of their next seven, and they might, 
we, we the conversation is going to be out there, and, and and we'll see how they respond. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. I guess that's what happens when you uh, try for a stars and scrubs like roster mm-hmm. construction, and then one of the because stars you're, you plays know, like, like they can't. Everybody's like, well, this won't be yeah. the roster in after the trade deadline. It may be like this is not an easy roster to change because of the way it's constructed. Like you say, stars and scrubs. Yeah. they've got two tradable contracts. Yeah, it's in, like Horton in, Tucker, uh, Horton Tucker, and Kendrick Nunn. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. We haven't seen those two guys play. So maybe there is some rotation players to come back. So there's going to be some stuff that does change, but it is very intriguing. Of course, Brian, you and Andy are going to cover that for us all over on the Locked On Lakers podcast. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Anytime. And that'll do it for today's episode of Locked On NBA. Don't forget to uh, follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. We're also on YouTube. So go over there, subscribe, notification bell, leave a comment, and give us a thumbs up as well. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.